Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance To the F9 team, thank you for allowing us to see that the impossible is not only possible, but also incredibly fun. Enjoyed being a part of the F9 crew for a few days, Lindsay and Rebecca. So these two girls came into our office. Women. Yep, these two women. Came into our office for three days uh, and got more in-depth training in Revit. And I kind of have to tell a backstory. So like, this is their, their... fourth level of training and i can't i can't even believe what they did but it, it, it's actually so smart so they were trained in revit in school which a lot of you people know and and they're interior designers right yep okay yep. training in school for any school is questionable a lot yeah, of the generally i would i would say because a lot of it's out of the book and, and by a person uh, an instructor that maybe honestly is not practicing or, or hasn't yeah. extensively used the software yep oh and and even if it's like a full course it's not from a practicing architect. And even if it's from a practicing architect, and if they're old, a lot of the teachers are older, they came from the AutoCAD world and they're bringing in bad practices. I don't care. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then third, a lot of times it's also just a gloss over of, of many different programs. So they had that. Then uh, at least one of them paid to get professionally trained. Professionally trained. At one of these like reseller places probably yep. right They're like whoever sells you the software they also have training centers yep and you go to the classroom and the problem with that was oh here's how you make a wall here's how you edit a wall oh here's how you use this here's how you use a window here's but by the end it was like okay you just kind of showed a whole bunch of stuff but you didn't get anything like concrete out of it or a system out of it it was a bunch of disparate parts right just thrown together so essentially useless or not that useful especially for the, the money that they paid then they bought our Revit lift system, went through all the training, and then the videos. So that was the third layer. That was the third layer. And then I asked them, like I interviewed them. Did you know I recorded them? Yeah. Yep, yep, that, yep. The camera. And I go, and uh, so it'll probably be part of the testimonials. You know, what did you like about it? And they liked that it was geared towards residential and that you made a small cabin. Um, and then at the end, you had like a final piece. And I go, then I had to ask, Okay, is, do you feel like you can apply this to bigger projects then? Because I would hate for everyone to just, just think like, oh, we're just teaching this small residential. He goes, no, what's great about it is that the whole system is set up. And once you learn all those fundamentals, like now they can apply it to, you know, whatever, because everything's in line. Like they, li- they like that there was a fundamental philosophical system that Beautiful. they could follow. Yeah, a structure. And then... Then a portfolio piece at the end. Here's something I built in Revit that's basically almost to a CD. Okay, set. great, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, <clears throat> but anyways, these girls are getting after it. These women are getting after it. Don't want to be corrected. Grown, grown women yeah. are getting after it. So they're like, we're, we're going to come and even just get in depth. And when uh, Lindsay said, hey, we're going to come to the office for three days. At first I said, okay, because I didn't think they were going to do it. Because <laughs> not a lot of people have, you know... And I fall. kind of, uh, Alex and I are so busy that uh, sometimes sometimes we don't talk as much as we should. 
So I was uh, thus this podcast inside the firm. Yeah. So so <laughs> so I was kind of surprised. Oh hey, there's two there's two there's two women here. What's what's going on? Um and and then he let me, you know filled me in. Yep. So on Monday I started out the first day and then I had a kind of a list of hey this is what I think you should learn and they had their own list so I was taking down notes and what was amazing about it was they said um, okay we want to learn design options and I write. Oh, Jason, you can talk to Jason then. Oh, oh I want to learn structure. Oh, you can talk to Rob. Oh, so uh, that, that kind of occurred Grush. on the fly. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I want to learn families. And in my head, I'm like, great, Josh. <laughs> oh, HVAC. Mark, there you go. So then they could they literally went from desk to desk and had people like, they they would tell them like, okay, we have this project. Uh, how would you do this? And the guys would just model it for them, record each piece. Oh, we, so, re- we are so smart. We recorded each piece. Each Wonderful. piece. So Wonderful. now they have a whole library and they have it from, a, you know, not everyone's licensed on a firm, but they are the professionals doing the work. Like, Absolutely. Holy cow. Grush does more structural plans than me. I might review them or whatever. Oh, yeah. Design options. Jason, like... I don't. I mean, there's 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 little there's little tricks that the guys are that end up teaching us too. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um, just by giving them a lot more free reign that you know, because we're not in Revit as much as we as much as we should be, or 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 are, and not should be, but yeah, typically, yeah, yeah. So, um, I Over, just thought it was awesome. It was awesome. It was so overall, it was a it was a very cool. Uh, experience, I think, for for the whole firm, it was a lot of it was a lot, seemed like it was a lot of fun, a lot of interaction. It was a break yeah. from the mundane. I think that's important in 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 any kind of firm. You know, either you do like a fun little project or a retreat, yeah, or or bring people in like this, um, and or, and or try to help them out. If you're another firm, sending your firm to other firms. So what I'm reminded of, <clears throat> Microsoft was grooming a guy to be a C, the new CEO. I forgot his name, but you can Google it. I'm sure they're grooming multiple people, but this is the guy that actually became it. Yep. And what they said is, uh, during, you know, this was probably five, six years back, is uh, we're going to exchange you. We're going to send you to a different company. We're going to give you to Netflix for a year. So obviously, this guy's very smart, talented. So Netflix is like, oh, I'm sure Microsoft probably even paid for his salary and everything. That's hilarious. They just, yeah, just to throw him in there. Because Microsoft has been around for a while. Netflix, so, hey, go go see what their culture is. Go see everything they're, they're doing. And they're not competing. Microsoft and Netflix are not competing. And then he came, you know, he's he's doing great. Apparently, he turned around the company, profits, all, all that stuff. But just like on our level, you know, from small firm to small firm, I think it'd be great uh, even even if we could do this with one of our guys, maybe we're getting more into multifamily. Go into a bigger firm that's doing multifamily. Saying, can this guy come and work on your projects and sit around for a week or two? I don't know. Maybe. Huh. I've or three days. I've never even thought about that in that manner. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get, just to get another perspective and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with our friend that came down, Mike. Go up there. Go to Minneapolis. See how they do it. See what you can see what you can bring back yep yeah. yep and then literally the exchange would be um um let's say it's let's say it's our friend i'm making up his name ben um hey ben could you talk to your boss and and here's the thing is that he will literally help you out in whatever you want to do whatever you know yeah, what i mean and like we, and we did we pay the salary we pay the salary and he's just there learning i don't know just an idea it'd be interesting if they if they'd be open to that yeah maybe yeah if any firms have any experience with that let us know Oh, yeah, for sure. That'd be cool. Yeah. Okay. Now you're going to read? Al reads. Wow. This not is a new segment. Not Nick reads. So th- this is from uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, right? Which is a pretty cool book. Yeah. Um, it, it's basically setting yourself apart. 
Um, some examples of blue ocean, uh, Cirque du Soleil, right? So there used to be circuses and they're like, okay, we're going to get rid of all the animals and then make it like cool and acrobatic and make it like a production theater. It's like combining these ideas. Um, uh, discover card sort of did that too. Um, so they put, this sounds subtle, but it's not like all the information is on the back instead of having it on the front and the back. And then when you call someone up, it's actually someone from the U S and then they actually give you your FICO score and they link your rewards to whatever you want. So like instead of rewards, you need to sign into another account, you know, with, I have that with capital one right now. It's just the worst, you know, it's honestly the worst. So literally like their whole philosophy is like designing the card that you'd want to do. So that's why when people get a card and they actually blame bright and, uh, they promote a credit card. It seems crazy. It's because like, oh yeah, everything that I wish they would do, they're actually doing. Um, but anyways, I wanted to kind of talk about this concept uh, with you and then see just like on the fly, throw it at you. Okay. So it's talking about a New York uh, transit police officer, the guy in charge of all the subways, all the transit, like I even think jaywalking and stuff like that. Um, New York, I forgot when this was, you know, the 90s, having a bunch of crime. And it's not the Giuliani effect or anything like that, right? Uh, people are pissed off. And basically, he turns around this this whole department. And it goes from, like, cops are not, not satisfied with their jobs. Funding is down. Crime is, is basically rampant in a way that they cannot see, right? So, we, so this is the concept they're talking about is tip point leadership. is concentration, not diffusion. Uh, it builds on, uh, okay, let me go to the next page. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. So basically what was happening was, uh, they have stats, right? And a lot of people like to lead by stats. Like what's your revenue? What's the crime rate? What's going on? And people were complaining that this, they called the subway, like, like a nightmare to rub on. And they look at their stats and they basically go, um, there's not that many arrests. There's not that many crime. Like our subway stats as police officers doing great. So this guy basically said, um, I'm going to go and have all of my guys ride the night subways so that they can see what's going on. And then we're going to have meetings with the community. Right. And what they found out is that it wasn't blatant crime. It was being harassed by people panhandling. It was being harassed by drunken people. It'd be people vomiting, people just like... So it was this whole um, underbelly, which you like, okay, it's not really a crime, but the people just hated it. And then the degenerates just went there, right? So this guy has a problem that everyone's hating at the police. The police are pissed off because they're you know not getting anything done and they're not going to get more funding whatsoever. So how do they solve this like subway issue that literally is a, a drain on the whole city because everyone has to go through the subway and it's just literally garbage, you know, all this. Oh all this yeah, craziness. it sounds terrible. Because the normal solution would be like, okay, we're going to increase patrols, but they couldn't because they didn't have the funding. They have yeah, they don't have enough funding to do okay. anything. So so the concept, right? When he got his guys to do this, then did. It, was it uh, if they had didn't have any funding? He was just like, we got to do something, so we're gonna try this for two weeks. Like, like he they didn't went above and beyond. Is that what? No. no. So I was like, what? What do you do? Because literally, the solution that that he gave, you know, there's thirty thousand police officers, so like he's running like a major company there. So he has a stats guy, and the stats guy so goes, okay, we need to increase patrols, um, and we need to, uh, you know, there's all these subway systems, so it's gonna be this much. And he looks at it like 
there's no way we have the officers or the money to do that. To like, do that, yeah. Right? So what did they do? So hot spots first, cold spots, um, and then horse trading, right? So hot spots are activities that have low resource input but high potential performance gains. So low input and then you get a high result from it. Cold spots are the opposite, high resource but low impact, Yeah. right? And then, so this is where he wants to do horse trading. What's a, you know, so then he looks at all the subway systems and he goes, okay, where are most of the crimes concentrated? And he, they figured so out. So instead of doing a blanket solution, he's just focusing on these areas. Yes. Yep. So then, um, he would literally take cops from the places where there aren't crime and then put them in the 20% that are crime. And then. And, oh, oh, and then here's the other thing. Then, then he looks, okay, so like that helped a little bit, but there still wasn't enough cops. There wasn't enough cops because they had no resources whatsoever. So they tried that out, and then all of a sudden they went and said, okay, what's the problem? What's ta- why don't we have enough cops? And one of it is, okay, you arrest a guy. You have to arrest him, right? Normally another police officer is there too. Then you have to get him in your squad car. Then you have to go down to the precinct. Then you've got to wait in line. Then you got to book them. Then you got to fill out paperwork. And then by that time, like, okay, might, might as well get lunch. Then you got to go back. It was something like a, eight hours. Eight, exactly. Eight hours. Per right? one incident. Per one incident. Wow. So he goes, okay, we're going to buy or rent buses. And then we're going to bring the people that book them. And we're going to stick them at these 20% stations. Cop arrests the guy, picks him up, puts him in the bus, goes back down. He's done in an hour. So like he can make eight more you know, arrests or corrections or presence because they're shorting, they're shortening the time from nabbing the guy to getting him to at least a point of departure. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so and then that worked out, everything came down and then it it goes over stats, like within two years, same budget, like everything, like, uh, police were very satisfied with their jobs. The neighbors, like all the citizens loved it now because they're not getting harassed by all these degenerates and all this stuff. So, you know, it worked out great cop and and there's more to it. Like there's more, okay, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this. But what I'm getting at is the, what's nice about having people and expanding because it's hard. We talk about, we're still a small farm. I would say because we're under 10 people. Teeny tiny. Yep. Right. But I feel like what we're doing with our template, with our system, especially some of the guys and the improvements that they've made, is what what are these hot spots and cold spots trade-offs, right? And not only are we doing it on an individual level um, where we're making components and then putting them in the template or the common files and people can use right away, but then also as, as a staff where, oh, okay, um, uh, one of our guys doesn't have as much to do and I have a whole bunch to do. Okay, he would have just sat there and spun his wheels, right? Um, but we have two people, me and you, bringing in work, right? And they're on different schedules. So then we can overlap so that we don't have this unproductive atmosphere that we've seen in, and experienced in so other firms. So when I read that, I'm like, oh, we just got to keep continue what we're doing, you know, trying something, experimenting, and then think about like, okay, what's a what can mean you think or those guys can think is a high reward that has a low impact let's let's take a cold resource and put it in that hot resource that's interesting yeah i don't have an answer for you right now but that was an enlightening story (laughs) (laughs) for sure but isn't it interesting to think about it just like in your mental model of your head 
okay, where are the hot spots in my firm and where are the cold spots in my firm? Yeah. And then how can I have the biggest impact without increasing resources, without increasing people, without, you know what I mean? Because that's, that's the trick right there. Yeah. One hot spot. How about this? <clears throat> this is an obvious one though. Oh, there goes your phone. You didn't shut it off. One, one obvious one is a hot spot of how to get work with a with low impact, right? So where I think, you know, you, where you're not having to go down to a meeting or, or, or trying to identify, is this a real client right away? Right. So I think, I think referrals are number one, right? Yep. That's the least amount you got to put in. So just keep the current client cl- uh, clients happy. Actually, I'm going to jump ahead of you. Repeats are number one. Referrals are number two. Repeats. Yeah. Because they just call you up and say like, do the same thing, slightly different. Send us over a contract. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so then I think the cold spot is somebody contacts us online and they, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe another architect who is retired, this happened this week, drew up the plans and like, should I spend an hour? Should I spend an hour actually writing up a proposal and, you know, getting it out to them and, and setting up this email? Or should I just cut to the chase right away and say, do you have a budget in mind for architectural services? And see if I, you know, if they throw out a number and it's just like not even close to inbounds, just seven hundred and, and just cut to the chase. I think that for me, that's where if I'm thinking about my time and and yes. reward versus reward versus not, you know, hot versus cold. That that's probably where I should I need to start being because I struck out this week big time. That that literally happened. That is an actual inquiry that we got. And then the other one was actually a repeat client. <laughs> Well, somehow well, we're still too expensive. I want to expand on your point because I think it's very great. When you're having that initial meeting, and we've talked about before in, in past podcasts, and everyone who's listening has listened to every podcast, so it's great that they know that. Yeah. But you know, there's a list of questions that you're drawing out, and then towards the end, okay, what is your construction budget? What is your timeline? Right. If this is a total cold client, totally new, I think it's fair to ask, um, what what is your architectural design budget? Right. Because if they they might say. You know, we have a budget of uh, 650000 Then you ask architectural budget. They might say, I have no clue, which means that they may or may not be reasonable. You know, we but don't it, know yeah, yet. But at least the door hasn't been shut. You know, you're, it's still kind of swaying. Versus, versus someone who has that budget and then they know Bob or Frank or Julie and be like, oh, yeah, no, Julie got her plans online for uh, $2,000. So I don't know, maybe $2,500, you know? Yeah. And you'd be like, okay, this is not going to happen because <laughs> you could then, instead of spending a whole bunch of time, you could make up your normal fee, plug it and they'll see that. Okay. Now it's 12, 20, you know, and then you didn't waste two hours trying to hone it in, try to, you know, okay, what is Adjust that sweet spot? That. Like there's yeah. no sweet spot here. Yeah. This does not matter. No, this, this is my lesson of the week is I just felt like especially, you know, I had two big inquiries. One was, one was a repeat client. We, we've, we've done two designs for them before they called us back. They love us. They've even worked with my wife, and and I was like, oh, this is this will be a layup. I'll even uh, you know give them a I'm gonna give them a discount here because I know Decent what they're price. like to work with. Yep. Yeah, it was a very competitive price, but I should even those guys I should have just asked from the beginning. I don't know why I let it slip. And then the same thing for this other guy. But 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 didn't your fee match in line with the other fees that you worked with? Them? It was it was a little bit more, but I mean we've evolved. We have more staff, you know, yeah. I think we're, we, we gain talent every, we, 
gain more experience and, and, and our talent grows every day. Right. So there's a justification there. Yep. Uh, uh, health insurance keeps going up. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the, all those, all that stuff. Right. Uh, no, we ended up being twice as much as the other people. And it's like, wow, well, I, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and, and maybe we could have made it work otherwise. What, what was the other one? And do you think that you're going to do what I did where you swing so hard, you come around and you might get a first base on one of them? Maybe, maybe the other, exactly. I'm, I'm actually going to round back right after the podcast with, with the other client that contacted us and say, Hey, I, I know I threw this number out for you. Um, do you have any feedback on it? Is, is that way out of bounds of what you're thinking? If it is, what are you thinking? And, and we are open to possibly working within that. Because what happened last week with one of my strikeouts that came back to be a hit was the the client went on thumbtack and basically said, you know, like their budget was so close to ours. I was like, oh, we'll adjust that for an in-town person. That will be a referral. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, are we literally under a thousand dollars off? You know, okay, we, we, we can maybe make that work. Now, yeah. Now, if this now, if this person comes back and says, oh, no, I need your fees to be a third of what they were. Right then, that seems crazy. And then, um, but yeah, like I think you were with plus or minus. Let's call it like ten percent. Really, right. it was about a ten percent adjustment. And like you said, if you're thinking about this from a long, if we're playing a long game here, this is a local client. It could be a r- more referrals in town that outweighs the ten percent. Yep, yep. And we don't have to travel to this place. So like that, there 10% you go. It's a hot my- spot. How about that? that <laughs> yeah, is, that is a hot one because the, the instead of driving down to Boulder and Denver, doing it, whatever. Yep. Um, and then the other one is they might go the other one in the West Coast. They might go with this other architect, realize that their service, quality, care, and design is way worse. And then the next house are like, okay, we'll pay your fee. Yeah, even though this is going to be their retirement house. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I swear, that, I swear these particular ones, they say that every single time uh, oh. that they're going to retire. And then they sell it and then they make money. It's like, well, you guys are funny. Yeah. So whatever. So you, were, you, you had to... Uh, you had to get after somebody this week or, or stand up for yourself, yeah? There we go. Stand up stand up for ourselves. Um, so this, when there's conflict, how, how do you deal with conflict? It's conflict with a developer, conflict with a contractor, contra- you know, with, with anything. And uh, we had to substitute a material. And the, con- and the contractor was just being... Uh, what what would you how very would you, very heavy handed and condescending in 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 the way he in his in how his rhetoric read in an email and yep. it, and you know and you, and you look at these emails and you, as a per, it, one thing you got to always keep in mind is okay emails are super cold right right in the but day. if there's so you know maybe if one is kind of condescending from it doesn't matter who it is you maybe you're like ah oh, I'll I'll and, let that slip and I did. Ah, whatever. Maybe he's in a bad mood. But what? if it if the second one, then I think you need to start raising your eyebrows, kind of like you know the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, where you have the one up and the one down. And you're really starting to question it, right? Yeah. And then the and then I think there is if there if it happens a third time, and if you have been polite the whole time, all the way through, and just kind of like doing doing the woosaw stuff with with the meditation, right? Where you where you're like you get a negative thing, and you're just like, well, I recognize you, and now you go away. I recognize you, and now you go away. Well, the third time. I think there's an obvious pattern here, and that's where you have to say, okay, I'm done with this pattern. We need to, I need to address this, run head on at it, and just be frank and, and frank and still polite, right? Yes. So then I opened the email on the weekend. I shouldn't, I was brewing about it. 
My wife, yeah, yeah, you were. You was all texting me. Yeah. Uh, my my wife was telling me to be nice. I didn't want to be nice. <laughs> so then, then I was mad. Wife, that's what my wife does too. Does yours grown? Like I'll yeah. tell her about stuff like this, and then she'll she'll go like, oh, just Lance. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just like she was just being positive, yeah. you know, and all that. But I was being angry, of right? course. So I didn't I didn't want to deal with that. So anyways, then I asked you, and you're like, say this, and it was not nice. I was like, I'll read it. I'll read it, because I'm not saying it was me, but I was like, I was happy, right? So again, bouncing something off it, and this is, I, I just said, well, Lance said, I think I typed it up. Maybe I changed it a little bit, but can we drop the attitude and condescending tone? Okay, that's kind of confrontational. I understand that, for me to say that back. But here's the second part, which pretty, I like. I mean, if you ask, if, if you're phrasing that in a question, Think about how that how much worse it could have been if you. I forgot this. to add a, put the question mark. I put a period. But ah, so. it was a statement. That ah. was that was okay. <laughs> but listen, but, that, but I'm going to tell everybody. For me, that's the difference. If you put a question mark, that question mark. Me, I'm, as a guy who pays attention to details, that means a lot compared to us compared to a period. Yep. But here, the second sentence, which is I think is key. It is hard to be proactive in a hostile and uh, atmosphere. So I was like, oh, great. That's why. And don't need to go into it. And then I start saying, like, my understanding is, and I start talking. And then shop. right into the solution. So yep. you set, or possible You solutions. set the tone and then right into the possible solutions. Yep. <clears throat> then I got a reply. Uh, hey, uh, if you took offense, um, then my apologies. I'm not intending to offend anyone. And then started talking about solutions. Perfect. Clear. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so there are these clear the air moments that absolutely need to happen. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I had a little one this morning. Yep. Uh, there's this plans examiner in, in a county that we're permitting in. And I politely asked him twice in the emails after I copied the client and the engineer. And I said, will you please reply all? And he failed to do it twice. And I finally had to just cut to the taste and I go, why can't you reply all? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'll do that from now on. Because all I'm trying to do here is herd cats. I need all the cats on one email thread so we can address this stupid problem that he wants to, us to address. Right. So I've been thinking about our development, right? And then also thinking about how uh, everyone, I want everyone to work together in a positive environment. I want everyone to have a good work life, everyone to have a good personal life and all that. But it's interesting that you say that. And then especially in context of who our president now is Trump. And just to let everyone know, if I ever talk about Trump, I'm not endorsing or whatever, or um, you're more observing, and that's I'm, all. I'm I'm observing because everyone can relate to this. So in this book, a few pages back, listen to this. Um, in the realm of experience, positive stimulus reinforces behavior, um, whereas negative stimulus changes attitudes and beliefs. Right. So if you're trying to reinforce something, it's hey, good job. Hey, keep doing that. Hey, amazing. Right. But if something needs to change, right, then negative stimulus is what's associated with uh, changing attitudes and behavior. So the, the reason I bring up Trump is that, honestly, so um, what does he talk great about? Our military is the greatest, all that stuff. So that's positive reinforcement. When he wants trade or the wall, where does he go? He goes extremely negative, right? I don't know if that's just some subtle whatever, but what I'm getting at is that I don't know how deep to go down this ninja rabbit hole of playing with carrots and sticks, right? Because there's um, Tim Ferriss recommends a book called Don't Shoot the Dog. 
And it's all about using positive reinforcement to get a dog and how you never need negative reinforcement such as, uh, you know, like a squirt gun or like, I don't even know what I'd do. Like if you'd hit the dog on the butt. Yeah, no, or, exactly. Smacking. You yeah. Know, getting after him like that. Yeah. yeah. It was a while since I was a kid and, and had my, trained my dog. But anyways, it's all about positive reinforcement. And, you know, it can't, because it even talks about if a dog barks at night. Like, how do you do positive reinforcement for a dog barking at night? And the solution was when the dog is not barking at night, you know, like you literally have to get up and like, like praise them. And then you have to teach them how not to bark when someone walks by or a squirrel walks by. Um, Boy, I think that even goes so far as children. And then I would take a one step, God, go up from there and go to employees and say to recognize out of the blue when they do something that that is like minutia. That's yeah. great and made a huge difference. Recognize it instead of remediate. Instead of like, oh, the negative part, you know, something bad happened, and then like that's the only time you ever say, yep. you know. Well, okay. Here's here's a pertinent example to what we're doing, and tell me how you do positive instead of <clears throat> negative because we did kind of negative when we went and addressed the city comments. But I think that honestly, this might be the harsher way to do it. But the they need to change in the way that they analyze what's going on in a building review and not do all this stuff that does not matter and have zero effect whatsoever, right? So do we somehow, when we get comments back from the city, try to shape them in, and when they have like a code compliance issue or putting something on a sheet that we understand, like, oh yeah, that makes sense, you know? Great comment, <laughs> way to go, you know? And then what about- That's interesting, you start conditioning them. And I don't know, you know, because planners change and maybe, maybe it's hard to do, but when they talk about like changing your title block, when they talk about like, um, removing like, Hey, this is duplicate information. Okay. Who cares? Now you saw it twice. Good for you. You know, (laughs) do you have any feedback from this train of thought? Well, that's, uh, that's, that, that was my email exchange this morning with this other planner. Is I clearly I clearly stated to him as I said, what you're asking for is extraneous information, and we don't feel that it's necessary to 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 for us to actually draw all this extra stuff. If you look here on the plans, here's where it is X, Y, and Z. Okay, can we uh, can't this be taken care of on in the field? Can the can the engineer inspect this or whatever? So instead of what it got, what it what it got him to is sort of like the art of negotiation, right? Where you ask for everything, you know, yep. you're not going to get everything. You're going to get halfway. So where I got halfway was, he goes, a letter will suffice from the engineer uh, clarifying this issue rather than detailing the whole thing. So it was a negotiation tactic where I just said, Oh, stand foot in the line here. This seems crazy that you're asking for this. So is the answer with the ones instead of just complying because the first couple rounds, you know, you just comply with the comments that are crazy, yeah. right? Because you don't want to have the reciprocal effect, the mirror effect. We know mirror neur- neurons. You got to totally set, you gotta set it up. Yep. Because if you, if you say no, then, then they are going to automatically subconsciously want to say no to you. Exactly. So, so there's a comment that doesn't, um, it is about getting rid of grids on a title block. So I think the answer should be in the future is to say, Hey, we believe that this is, you know, and doesn't, uh, doesn't pertain to the site, uh, you know, in a nice way, have them think about what they're doing. And then, so literally instead of just an answer and it's easy for them, anytime there's something that is, uh, something that's dumb, you literally have to write out a paragraph, making them think. 
Yes. So that when it comes to the process and that's how it's positive. You're asking them to think about it. Think about this. Does this have any effect on what we're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, but I think you're well, right. We're gonna, so now it's our responsibility. Extreme ownership, Jacko Wing, Ex- Willing. Extreme ownership. Check it out. But you have to set it up like you're saying. You can't, you can't go right away. There's no no. So like back to this email exchange you had this morning. We, this, is the, this is the last item. So we've already done the, hey, no problem. Here's, here's, here's how this is addressed. We've, we've solved the problem. Okay. And then you're still like, okay, now you're still asking for more and then, and then lay it on them and, and have them think about like, can it be addressed in this way? And then they go, well, technically yes, but all right, fine. A letter will suffice. Can you somehow say in the end, um, we feel, uh, we feel like not doing this would make the project go smoother and focus on more priority issues. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. There you go. There you have it. There we go. Interesting. Um, all right, that's it. I think we, it's now time for our bestie, Nick with Nick reads. Hello, best friends. I hope you had a great couple of weeks. A reading design must solve the problem of opportunity. Remember this old adage? I could do really great work if only I did not have a client. This attitude stems from a widespread culture in the professional service community where the providers see clients as a means to achieving their personal goals and ambitions. They see their work as precious and untouchable. I suppose the perspective is okay if you're an artist, but it's no way to build a professional service firm. The proper way is to put your client's needs first. Produce value for them. And then you can allocate your profits as you see fit. You're in the business of solving your client's problems. If you're good at your job, you will actually generate new opportunities for them. The key is to always concentrate on understanding your client's needs. Putting those first and driving your team to open up new ways forward for the client. This makes you valuable and keeps you in business. Art Gensler. Al, that's how you handle the press? Get yourself a bottle of Zacapa or a Sixer of Zima. Drink up and curse the system like the rest of us. Toodles! Good. Do you know they, you can still get, like, they just rolled out Zimas again? I want everything from the 90s to come back. (laughs) Do they do they still have mellow yellow? Right? They're they still must. mellow yellow. That's good. a thing. Yeah. So you got some notes there. I've got some notes. <clears throat> so not all of our projects are high level design stuff. And they never have been and they never will be. Right. We have a nice variety. So what's the challenges with that with it's one thing for you and I to be comfortable with doing that stuff, but it's a whole other thing trying to get the staff to be comfortable with that at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? And I think I think uh, Art obviously nails it on the head every single time, right? In that you are you are solving a problem. So that's how I always try to set it up. Is that even with even when we did the we did two uh, we did two houses that are getting repeated multiple times in this development. They're they're build a level houses. But what I stress to uh, what I stress to Jackson when and he and I were drafting up is I go 
the critical part here, the part to get invested in emotionally, because architects need that, designers need an emotional investment, is the floor plans. Like, just set it up and just flat out from the beginning that the exterior is not where you're gonna you're going to you're going to get off in that in that regard. It is the floor plans. The floor plans need to be timeless in the sense that they're modern. In, that they we're not knocking down walls and we're not doing like 70s style compartmentalized floor plans where the dining room is all confined and stuff like that. Yep. So I think that's and then at the end of the day it's like hey, it, do what do what you got to do to 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 like this job, to like this task. Um whether it's putting on, you know, music that you like or 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 you know, a video or something like that, um because at the end of the day, you're still going to get your paycheck. And we're still gonna we're still gonna work towards a big bonus at the end of the year. Like all all that Matt, you know, we're still solving a problem. And 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 here's how I think about it is basically so me, you, and everyone in our staff has almost had where hey we we pushed the design in a good direction and it came back and it was basically no go back and in something we know like either maybe not the worst materials but just. Not good design. Terrible decisions. decisions. Terrible decisions, yep. right? So, okay. The customer is always right, but some, but, but that doesn't mean that they don't make terrible decisions. Let's sometimes. follow <laughs> off. Let's follow if we try to keep a hard line with that, right? So we try to convince them. We try to convince them. We try to convince them. It, it, it doesn't work, right? So all of a sudden, that project loses money. So then as a firm, we need to think, okay, we need to solve this because we can't keep fighting and losing battles in these certain, situa- certain situations. So now we need a better screening process for um, clients, right? Which means we're not going to let those clients in to our little world. Okay, think about the ramifications of that. We have a eight-man firm that you have to do some of those projects, but you also get to do some very cool projects, and you also get the flexibility of, of always being productive, working in a great culture, and all that. If we go that route of sticking this line, we're, we might lose 10 to 20% of our clients. And that honestly means two, two of you don't work here. <laughs> yeah. I, so, so do you want to put up with that and, and do the, the land solution? And which allows us to that flexibility that we talked about, like passing projects back or forth or having people come in and, and doing something unique. And then us doing our own cool projects of our firm, our own development, our own building, ha, you know, ha, building the firm that we want, not forcing our ideas always on ev- everyone else. What do you value more? Yeah. And that's the critical part to set setting up the whole equation. Absolutely. It's a high, it's a high level 40,000 foot perspective that needs to, that we, it's up, up to us to successfully disseminate yep. to the, everybody else. And, and I'm not saying that the <clears throat> firms that do the other way are in the wrong because you could definitely hold to your design standards and do all that and maybe have these fights and arguments. And we've heard them with the, uh, not just the owner, but with the contractor too and price overruns, right? We just choose to loosen that up a little bit, which allows us the flexibility to hold that strong line on the projects that we want to do. So we're not forcing it on someone else. We're ta- we're giving it to ourselves. Yes. So it's just a different trade-off. Yeah, absolutely. Just a trade-off. A horse, horse trading. There, there you go. go. There back, you go. Back to it. Yeah. All, thanks as usual, Nick. I just, I just love your sultry voice. Yeah. Every Friday, except for last, he Friday carries the podcast. It. He absolutely, absolutely, he is the cornerstone of the podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, I think it's time for we're a little uh, ARE Jeopardy. No, let's get the boys in. Oh, 
Okay, we're here with the boys doing ARE questions. Just a shout out before we get going. Uh, this is sponsored by two different entities. One, Designer Hacks. So designerhacks.com, that's where we get all the questions from. I use them to study for my tests. They are absolutely great, so go do that. And then on a more philosophical, getting your mindset right, uh, go get Evan Troxell's book, ARE Hacks. That's going to put you in the right perspective and mindset to study, pass, and win on the test. So let's just get into it. <clears throat> First question. An architect is designing a building in Southern California, SoCal. What type of climate region should the architect anticipate to design for? A, cool region. B, hot humid region. C, hot arid region. D, temperate regions. E, uh, tropical wet regions. SoCal. Oh, I forgot to mention oh, that one of uh, the the guy who wins a lot is gone. <laughs> Alex Gresham. We have Ross in his place. Ross is one of our newer employees. Um, I don't even think you're starting to study yet. But do you? <laughs> Definitely do, not. Do you feel the spirit of Gresh? <laughs> okay. Let's see what we have for answers. So B, D, hot, humid. Uh, C is the answer. Hot, arid. We we have Did anybody blues. get it? We know. Wow. Yeah. Hot arid. Okay. Next question. This is a check four out of five. <laughs> I do not envy you guys. Typical property description. You know what you, you most of you have dealt with this. So this this is very applicable. Typical property description would contain which of the following data? Check the four that apply. A lot number. B, bearing and lengths of the property lines. C, area of the site. D, zoning requirements. E, corner mark, uh, markings. Markers. Corner markers. Check the four that apply. And we're going to do it again. A, lot numbers. B, bearing and lengths of property lines. C, areas of the site. Uh, D, zoning requirements. E, corner markers. A typical property description would contain which of the following data? Check four that apply. Yep. So basically think about when you get a site plan, uh, uh, the survey in from the survey or what's on there. What's going on? In the description though. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, you'd find these on the, on the graphic thing too. You'd sure. find them on both. Sure. Okay. Lot numbers, bearing and lengths of the property lines. Area of the site, zoning requirements, corner markers. So only one of them. Just choose one of them that's not going to be on there. Okay, we got it. So he says D's not going to be on there. D's not going to be on there. D's not going to be on there. You are all correct. You're nice. Everybody's still tied. Still tied. All right. Here we go. I've got number. I've got number three. Question number three. On a topographic map, a slope is represented with a with contour lines that are spaced closer together at the lower elevations. Which landform would this represent? A concave slope, B uniform slope, C ridge, D convex slope, or E plateau. I'll read it again. On a topographic topographic map, a slope is represented with contour lines that are spaced closer together at lower elevations. Which landform would this represent? 
A, concave slope, B, uniform slope, C, ridge, D, convex slope, or E, plateau. And while everyone is thinking, uh, just D for the last question was zoning requirements. So you won't see the zoning requirements, but you'll see lot numbers, bearing the distance of lines, the area, and corner markers. They're not going to give you your setbacks and your landscape buffers. And you got to guess. Yeah. I wouldn't get this one that I just yeah. read. What I saw, though, in case anyone wants to take a little extra time, is someone was drawing it out. So you will have Ooh. sheets that you can draw out uh, and then try to take a guess from. So what what do we have? Uh, a, D, A. D is correct. There we go. Congratulations. Convex slope. We have, we have someone in the lead. We have someone in the lead. Let's see if he can hold it. All right. May the power of Gresh compel you. <laughs> now they're discussing. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Wow, look at that. He's a th- thinking in 3D. We'll discuss this later, guys. <laughs> because I think it's worth it to discuss it and draw it out. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> number uh, Number four. An architect documenting an existing building might need to do which of the following? Check three that apply. So you've all, as built, you've all done. Yep. An architect documenting an existing building might need to do which of the following? Check three that apply. A, document dimensions of the structure, external walls, and partition walls. B, provide a cost estimate for demolition. C, take photos of the videos and videos of the building. D, provide a preliminary project schedule. E, inquire from the client if the as-built drawings are available. Would you like me to repeat those? I see no repeat requests. Everyone in our firm has done this, which is great. Have yeah. been on site, drawn Okay, up. you guys I've have even your, left them. You guys said, I'm out of here. You I, guys. I don't it. even go anymore. They just handle it. One more second. All right. <laughs> yes, he can. Yep. Uh, D, provide a preliminary project schedule. E, inquire from the client if the as-built drawings are available. You know what I've wondered? What have you wondered, Do, li- do listeners, like if I was a listener, would I hit the reverse 30-second button quite a bit Quite a bit during these, during these uh, questions? Oh, and go back? Yeah. Or 15 seconds? Yeah, whatever know. it is. I, it's 30 seconds on Audible, 15 on iTunes. Okay. Gotcha. Good. Is this on Audible? No, we're not cool. Okay. All right. A C E, A C E, A C E. Bam. You are all aces. You are all correct. But Jason still wins because he had one on top. So thank you, Jason. I hope you he picks a place lunch. where we get soup because it's cold today. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, oh, they have salad too, and maybe fries. Yeah, that's your thing. All right, that's that, yeah? Yeah. Then we'll do a closing? Okay. Cool. My typical, okay. So, uh, two things to kick off, to, to end the podcast, and then I'll let you end it. Uh, Eric Reinholdt's 30 by 40 design workshop on YouTube this week is architecture. It's actually this week. Oh, yeah. I'm Photography. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. I got called out because apparently on Mark's podcast, I thought Eric was going to be on it, but I think that was just, a, he was posting an old one. People yelled at me. Um, it was Nick. Nick yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, actually then transitioning to Mark, right? Uh, he, he always says, if we build better businesses, 
uh, we can build better architects and better architecture, which is kind of what we were talking about. Uh, exactly what we're talking about with getting the business in line so that instead of us maybe forcing too much on the other people, we're, we're building our own architecture, right? Got it. So if we want to build that thriving, profitable business, uh, then we need to focus on our practice and our craft and our art and, you know, making a business, uh, to start that off, what you can go is you can go to entrearchitect.com forward slash free course. So he's going to start you on this path. Again, I will, free course. It's free. It's worth your time. Go check it out. E-N-T-R-E architect.com forward slash free course. Go check it out. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, last but not least, follow us on the Twitter. Join the Inside the Firm Facebook group. Uh, it's a special little group that we, we talk uh, business and we get asked uh, questions and you know can interact with us directly. Um, please please also uh, share this episode or or your favorite episode with a colleague, uh, somebody who else you think could benefit from it. doesn't even matter if they're an architect. It could be anybody who, who learned some valuable lesson uh, business-wise or even personal-wise um, from listening to an episode. We would, would love to, we'd love to you know, help, help spread the message and, and spread, spread the podcast. So see you next week.